Well, hey, good morning, Zion. How's everybody doing this morning? Can we just give a big thank you for what God is doing here this morning? Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. We're so glad you're here, especially if you're checking us out for the first time, or maybe you're just looking for a place to call home, or maybe you're just visiting to check things out. So whatever reason you're here, thank you so much for coming. Uh, I'm so grateful to be back in the dock. Can I get an amen? What, what? <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I love Church in the Park. Church in the Park is an amazing opportunity for us as a church. We've gotten to do it for over 20 years. And uh, it's amazing because we get to proclaim the gospel out in the middle of everywhere. And whether it be the antique show, uh, whether it's the carnival, Jesus' name gets to be heard by anybody around, whether they like it or not. And so we trust that God's word does what it does. But uh, it is nice to be back here in the dock for no other reason than just having kids ministries. Any parents, can I get an amen? Uh, I've had more than a few parents like, when are we back in the dock, Jason? Uh, but also, we don't have to worry about squirrels dropping things on our head. Uh, it's also wonderful to have lyrics and scripture and notes back on the screen again. And then uh, my favorite part, and, and I really hope you hear this, this is one of the best parts. So we moved the service from 9 and 1045 to 845 and 1030 for a reason. So our first service was getting so full to the point that it was getting uncomfortable and uh, we were really trying to hope that more people would come to the 10.30. Apparently, like, this side is the side to be at. Like, everybody's like, whoo. Uh, so I'm just going to ignore you and talk to these people. Uh, no. uh, I'm so glad uh, that the reason why we did this was actually because God has been doing some pretty remarkable things at Zion. And we want to make room for people who are looking for a church, who don't know Jesus, who are exploring faith, or maybe looking for a place to recover. Um, a lot of people come to it for church for different reasons, but one of the coolest things that happens is in between services. Uh, it's something happened about a year and a half ago. Uh, we, we allowed a little bit more time in between service, and this amazing thing started happening. People started hanging out after church, and sometimes they'd hang out. Literally, there are some people that I'm like, dude, we're like the second service is starting. They're like, shut up, Jason. We're talking. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. Uh, and, and so it's, it's cool to see how God is moving in our church. And part of that movement, I believe, is because we're allowing the Holy Spirit room to move. And ultimately, this is his pulpit, not mine. Amen. It's his word. It's he brings life. His word brings life. It's the work of the spirit. And, and here's what I want you to hear. If you're exploring faith, maybe you're coming with some church hurt. Maybe uh, you're, you don't even know about, you're not sure about this Jesus stuff. There are things that we do as a church. One of the things we do is we pray corporately for the Holy Spirit to move. I'm going to give you permission to not pray if you don't want to. That if you're in a place, you're like, Jason, I'm just not there. Maybe you're like barely made it here this morning and you're, I'm just glad you're here. Uh, picture us, we're, we're like Planet Fitness for churches right now where it's okay. You know, there's no judgment uh, that you are free to just be here. But for those who want and are hungry for God to move. And let me ask you, who's ready for God's word to move in your life this morning? If so, say I am. And, and here's, the, here's the goal is that we believe that the Holy Spirit works through the Holy Word, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, to move in us. And so we invite that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to open our eyes. And so if that's you, would you please stand with me? And I want to ask you to join me in this prayer, and it will be on the screen. And, and this is a prayer. It's a prayer of invitation and expectation. Did you know we don't actually have to pray for the Holy Spirit to show up because the Holy Spirit's already here? Amen? What we do need to pray is that we're ready for it. 
that we're open for it, that we're hungry for it. And that's what this prayer is. So if that's you, and again, if you don't want to, don't feel the need to, but if you want to, please join me in this. Father, thank you for this morning, for this moment, for this church. Holy Spirit, where my heart is hard, soften it. Where it is cold, light it on fire. Where I am tired and weak, restore me. I want to hear from your word, for you have the words of life. Help me to love you, to love others, and to love myself like Jesus. I want your word to come alive in me and your spirit to empower me. In the awesome name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. amen. And would you continue standing as we read our scripture for this morning? It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. Would you please join me in reading this? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord, praise be to God. You may be seated. So last week we started our, we kicked off kind of our fall series and we're launching into our third value. Now, uh, you probably, if you're new here or newish, you may not know this. Two and a half years ago, we changed our vision and values as a church. Our mission always stays the same. Jesus gave every church the same mission. Go make disciples. That should be the mission of every church. But our vision and values, how we live that out is differently. And so we moved our vision and values to encompass three words. And if you know these, say them out with me. Here we go. Ready? They are belong, believe, become. And we've spent a year on each value or vision. And so the first year we looked at what does it mean to belong? And there's a reason why we put belong first. And then the next year we looked at believe, that what does it mean to believe? And then lastly, we looked at become. Now, I want you to hear this. See, here's what we mean by this. And, and there's an order to this. We chose belong first because you do not have to believe in Jesus to belong to our church. Now, let me explain. Some of you are like, wait a second. The church is God's people. The word in Greek for church is ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. It simply means a gathering of people. Any place where people are gathered is technically a church. And there are people who come into this gathering of people who do not know Jesus, who are exploring Jesus. Some have been deeply wounded by the church. And as a result, they're not even sure about the church right now. We want to be a safe place where you can have questions, have doubts, where you can just come and be. But we are unabashedly and unapologetically about Jesus. And so we do want you to believe there's no bait and switch here. Please know that if you come here, you're going to hear about Jesus. And we want you to believe in Jesus, to put your faith, hope, and love in Jesus. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, now you belong not to a church, but to the family of God. And God's family is ultimately where you want. Whoever's saying amen, thank you. Like, take note. That's how we do it. I had a friend of mine. <laughs> I had a friend of mine. We just, uh, your brother that I just started recently meeting with. And he goes, Jason, you're the most Pentecostal Lutheran I've ever met. And I'm like, well, I'm charismatic with a seatbelt, yo. It's great. You can say amen here. You can all say preach it just as long as you don't say shh. Like, don't do that. But everything else, it's good. But here's the thing. When you become a Christian... When you put your faith, hope, and love in Jesus, you move from belonging to a church to belong to the people of God, to being a family of God, sons and daughters of the King. Can I get an amen? amen? 
And, and we want you to become, and hear this, ready? This is our, we're moving into a year of becoming, which means every sermon essentially is going to have some tie into what does it mean to become, because what you belong to and believe in shapes what you will become like. Did you catch that? What you belong to, what you believe in, will shape what you become like. And so we're looking at this, and here's the question. I, this is the question we must ask ourselves. How do you and I, how do we as a church, become more like the Jesus we say we believe in and belong to? That should radically challenge the notion of who we are. Who are we becoming? Jesus has a vision for your life. He also has a vision for his church and for our world. And the question is, do we care more about my vision or his? And I actually posed some questions last week, and we're going to keep on putting these in front because I don't think many of us ask this question because it's a hard question. And here's what I'm going to ask all of us over the next year we're going to be reflecting on. Here it is. Ready? There's four questions, really. Who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? What kind of Christian? If you're a Christian, what kind of Christian do you want to become over the next year? What kind of person, friend? Spouse, if you own a business, what, did you want, what do you want your business to become over the next year? What kind of worker, leader, what kind of church do you want Zion to become? The, the question of becoming is so critically important. And, and here's what I need you to hear. No matter what, no matter what you think, all of us are becoming something. You don't have a choice. You will become something. It's just a question of who or what you are becoming. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me so far? And that's the crazy part about humans, because only human beings are capable of becoming more human. And let me explain. I want to I show you. See, God created you to become. I want to show you some pictures of my pets. Um, this is my cat, Dobby. He's our fat boy. And this is my other cat, uh, Albus. He's smiling. And uh, you'll see them together. They're, those are our cats. I love my cats. And now we, this last year, we got a new member of our family. We got an oxalotl. That's a real thing, uh, and I just want to tell you, his name, his, his name is Norbert because my family are huge Harry Potter fans, and so everything apparently has to be named after Harry Potter character. But here's the thing. If you don't think these pictures are adorable, you might be dead inside or not have a soul. I'm just saying, like, if you're looking at that and you're not like, oh, that's adorable, like, you might not love Jesus. I don't know. It could just be a th but I mean... Animals are adorable, but stay with me. You're like, Jason, what's this got to do with being human? Did you know a cat never struggles with becoming a cat? A cat doesn't become more or less a cat. A cat is not sitting there going, should I be a dog today? My oxalotl is not going, huh, am I oxalotly enough? Like, no, trees don't struggle to be trees. Cats don't struggle to be cats, but humans struggle to be human. We're the only ones in all of God's creation who struggle with identity, period. And the reason for it is simple, because we alone are made in the image of God. We bear His image, and we are not God, but we are meant to show the world, show His creation what it means to be human. In fact, we are so created that we, out of all of creation, we can become more or less human. A cat cannot become less cat, a dog cannot become more dog, but humans can become more human or less human. Let me show you an example. I'm going to show you some words that we use to describe people who are not acting like humans. Evil, wicked, criminal, greedy, 
liars, vain, barbaric, racist. Now, some people, uh, Jaden, who works on staff with us, said, Jason, I thought we all had original sin. We do. But prior to sin, sin corrupts our humanness, our humanity. That's not who God created us to be. True? Would you agree with that? When God created human beings, we were not created with sin. Sin corrupted it. And now we are not actually living into our humanity. In fact, how do we describe somebody that is treating others or God's creatures without compassion, dignity, or honor, or they're being cruel. We actually have a word for it. We call it being inhumane, unhuman. When a cat does something like a cat, you don't sit there and go, that's uncat-like. You know, what cat's nature is violent and cruel, and we look at that, we watch documentaries on it, and we go, oh, that's what animals do. But humans, we know that humans are supposed to be more than cruel. We're not like animals, praise God, amen? And so who are you becoming? We were created to become either more human or less human, and all of you are becoming something. And because we're all made in the image of God, we have to wrestle with this. And when I tell you, and, and here's the thing, I want you to hear this as a church, when I say we believe, I mean, we really do believe, and we do believe that you can belong here if you're still wrestling with Christ because your doubts, your questions, uncertainties, they, they really are welcome here. We're not afraid of them. We value them. But when I say we believe, I mean, we really believe. And, and here's the challenge. See, last week we looked at how we become like Jesus, which if you're a Christian, that's who we're supposed to become like because Jesus was the ultimate picture of humanity. God become flesh. At one point, his, one of the references is son of man, and some scholars have debated about what does it mean to be called son of man, and, and it's most likely it's referring to is that he is the fullest human being that has ever lived because he is without sin. He showed humanity of what it could be, but he could only do it because he was God in flesh. He wasn't some divinely powered human being. No, he was God plus man in the incarnate word of God made flesh, which is a mystery we become like Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, through a word called sanctification, but also through the power of his word. And, and I'm going to encourage you, if you didn't listen to last week's message, please go online, go onto the Zion app, listen to it. But here's what I think. One of the dangers of modern Christianity, and I hope you're hearing me right now, one of the dangers in modern Christianity is we put so much emphasis on believing in Jesus that we actually don't care as much about believing in what Jesus told us to become. We are people who, well, I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't really matter if I trust his words. But see, we believe that if you believe in Christ, you also believe in the word of God. Now, here's the thing. The word of God can be confusing. Can I get an amen? Like, there are moments, how many of you ever read the Bible and you're just like, Jason, I don't get it. Or how about the parts that you're like, dude, I just don't know if I, I don't know what to think about that. There are parts of the Bible that are messy because the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written through human beings who are messy and sometimes do some pretty ugly things. God's people did some pretty ugly things. Would you agree with that? They continue to do some pretty ugly things. But the Bible, and, and, and this is important, the Bible is not a love letter to you. Some people have said the Bible is God's love letter to you. The Bible is not about you at all. The Bible is a book about God. It's a book that shows who God is how he created the world. And yes, it does talk about us, but it reveals our need for God. It reveals how God is going to save us through Christ. It reveals our brokenness. It reveals who God is, who he wants us to become through him. And when people say, I believe in Jesus, but this book, 
yeah, I don't know if I really, I'll do whatever I want, then you don't actually believe in Jesus. And how can I say that? Now, don't get me wrong. You don't have to believe in the Bible to be saved. You have to believe in Jesus to be saved. Did you catch that? Faith in Jesus is what saves you, not faith in a book. But the words in this book are given by God for your benefit. That's what we talked about last week. And so we want to become a church, notice that word become, who doesn't just say we believe in Jesus, we also believe in the words of Christ. And Jesus was the word of God fulfilled. He was the ultimate expression, the fullness of God is what Colossians told us. The fullness of God revealed in the person of Jesus, which means if you don't know what to think about a Bible passage, you look at Jesus and say, well, how did Jesus act? That's how we live. That's who we live by. And so we need to become people of the word because the word is God breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Deep calls out to deep, as the psalmist says, that spirit in you will connect with the spirit written in the word of God. And then God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, when you submit to it, begins to change and shape you. And so we become like Christ through his word, through his power, but also through his people. And this morning, I want to share with you some things that I think sometimes we miss. See, uh, Jesus understood the power of the word of God. See, Jesus at his baptism, in front of all of these different people, Jesus goes into the water. And as he's getting baptized, the father speaks and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And what appeared like a dove, it was not a dove. What appeared like a dove, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. Everybody sees this. The identity of Jesus has been confirmed. This is God's son, God in flesh. The Holy Spirit then leads him into the desert to be tempted. 40 days, Jesus goes without food. 40 days of fasting on the 40th day. Like some of you can't go four hours without eating. Jesus goes 40 days and the devil comes to tempt him. And you know The three temptations that Satan brought, every single one of them was all about one thing. They were all a challenge of who Jesus was to become. Did you know that? Every temptation that Satan threw at him was ultimately challenging who Jesus was to become by obeying the Lord. In one of these challenges, the devil says, hey, I know how hungry you are. If you're actually God's son, turn these stones into bread. He's twisting scripture and Jesus responds because Jesus knows God's word. And he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, check this out. Jesus responds by the lie of the devil. The devil knows how to twist God's word to twist God's people up. The devil knows how to take what is good and make it ultimate and bad in your life. That's the problem with most sin is we take good things and we make them bad things. We check, you check them with me? And Satan knows how to twist up God's people and Jesus, because he knew God's word, knew the heart of God's word, because he was God's word become flesh. Jesus responds, understanding God's word. Every lie that the devil brought was meant to shape who Jesus became. But Jesus understood his identity first connected to the father, but he also was grounded in his word. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says in the Old Testament. This is from the Living Bible Translation. Your, your words are what sustain me, Lord. They are food to my hungry soul. They bring joy to my sorrowing heart and delight me. How proud I am to bear your name, O Lord. And so we have to ask this question. If we want to learn how to become, then we have to learn what the Bible says we are to become. Now, we're going to play a little game here. Uh, fun is one of our values as a church. It's not a core value. Our core values are belong, believe, become. But fun, well, fun is just one of my values. I like to have fun. So we do games here every once in a while where we do like a, a giveaway candy bars. Anybody want a candy bar besides children? 
Got a few, few honest people. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture from a TV show, and the first one to tell me the name of the show gets to choose between a Snicker, a Twix, a Musketeer, or a Milky Way. All right, you ready? First one to yell it out gets it, and y'all, I'm going to ignore you first because there's too many of you over here. I can't see who it is. All right, so first picture, here we go. Ready? What's the show? Who was that? All right, what do you want? What do you want? Snickers. Oh, thank you. Bam, there it is. All right, next one. Oh, who was that? Who was that? What do you want? They really do satisfy. Anybody else? All right, next one. Oh, who is that? Oh, what do you want? She wants the ghost. No, it's mine. Here, you get a three musketeers. And because you're, you have to be married to Scott, here's the Snickers. All right, next one. My wife said Seinfeld. <laughs> I'm like, do you even love Jesus? All right, cheers. Who said cheers? Who said that? Who said, what do you want? I'm not going to throw it to you because I'll poke someone's eye out. So Ray or Andy, go give that to him. There we go. All right, last one. Here we go. This is for younger people. If you got this ready, here we go. Who was it? All right, what do you want? There's no more Twix. Yeah, no more Twix. Tell you what, here, you get the consolation prize, you get the rest of them. There you go. Come, come and get it. <laughs> the parents are like, I hate you, Jason. <laughs> Do you know what all of these shows have in common? Are you ready for this? They are all about people who are not family who become family. They actually speak to an ache that exists within all human beings. It's people who don't know each other, who are not related by blood, who come together and essentially become family to one another. Did you know most of the television shows that are popular in America speak to the same need? Most of them, you watch them, they all have one thing in common, community, people. Now, what's crazy is the Bible's actually been telling us this for thousands of years. The Bible's been speaking to the importance of family for really generations, millennia. I want to take us back, and I meant to do this before we went into the park, but I didn't have a chance to. I want to show you the Genesis story one more time. Now, here's the thing. In the ancient world, they believed in gods. They didn't understand the world the way we do. They didn't understand the atom, the universe. They didn't understand uh, the basics of what you and I take for granted. They just had to look at the world and try and figure it out. And so they believed gods created. And the gods created, and most of the gods, and, and I want you to hear this, most of the gods created creation through either war, some sort of bloodshed, out of their own selfishness or some sex act. Okay? That's how all created. And then here comes the God of Jews. So you had Babylon, Egypt, Sumeria, the Assyrians. They all had different creation stories. But there's this small nomadic tribe that doesn't have a people, that doesn't have a land. They have a people. And their God is unlike any other God in the region. Now, you and I take this for granted, but a lot of scholars, not, not even biblical scholars, consider the nation of Israel, the beliefs of Judaism, the beliefs of Genesis are so unlike the world around them that they can't actually explain it. Because it doesn't make sense with all the other religions, all the other views of how they looked at the gods. There's one God in Israel and this God creates. Now here's the thing, when people wanna argue about if the science, the reason why they, the Genesis, the purpose of Genesis one and two is not about how God created, but why God created. And when you understand that, instead of looking at, again, they're not scientists, they don't understand things the way we do. The goal is not to look at how God created, but why God created it. And here's what I wanna show you, this is so cool. 
we're going to see that the first three days, God is doing something. And then the next three days after that, God is doing something else. You ready for this? Who's ready for this? Say, I am. Okay, check this out. Check this out. Ready? Okay, stay with me. Day one. Now, for those of you who are science-minded, you'll catch this. There's light. God speaks, says, let there be light. And there's dark. However, there's no sun, moon, or stars. Anybody understand basics of science? Can you have light without a source of light? There's no sun, moon, or stars day one, but there's light and there's, there's light and there's dark. There's day and there's night. Day two, the sky to separate waters above from waters below. So it was believed that there was this canopy of waters above and a waters below, and the sky was in between kind of holding it up. And they didn't, there were different views about what this was. Now check out day three, there's waters, there's the sea and the oceans, and then there's dry land with plants and trees. Now all these things, God creates, days one through three, God creates they all have a purpose, but here's the thing. They're missing something. God has made something, but that something doesn't have full relationship. And now we come to the next day, God fills. Now he takes the day, and what does he fill the day with? The sun. He takes the night, and what does he fill the night sky with? Stars and the moon. Day five, he fills the sky with birds and the sea with fish. And day six, he fills the land with animals, and he creates Adam from the dust to work the ground and to care for creation. Days one through three, God makes. Days five or four through six, he fills. There's relationship, there's connection, but there's a problem. See, Adam, who is the only one made in God's image, who has breathed life in from the dust, God has made him in his image. Everything else has filling to it. Now, I want you to hear the difference. Being filled and being fulfilled are not the same thing. This, the, the night sky needed the stars and the moon. Otherwise, it's not night anymore. The day needed the sun. The sky needs birds. Everything has a partnership, a relationship. They call it a binaryism. And now we have Adam who is in perfect relationship with God. There's no sin. He's completely in harmony with God. He's even completely in harmony with creation. But there's a problem. Everything else has something to fill it. And God looks at Adam and Adam sees humans. Now, here's the crazy part. You know, some of you, if you're a cat person, my cat, I, I love my cat. I do. My cats are great, but I can't have a real relationship with my cat. You want to know the reason? My cat doesn't talk back. My cat licks me and then bites me. We call it prepping the wound. Right? For those of you who are dog people, I get it. Dog might be man's best friend. He's a horrible best friend. You want to know why? Because true friends can challenge you. Your dog doesn't challenge you to become a better human being. Your dog doesn't challenge you when you sin. I'm not saying that there's anything. Your dog is wonderful, lovely. Your cat's great. But that's not enough relationship. And so God says these words. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, here's the thing. We've all, you've probably heard this before. All human beings have a God-shaped hole in their heart. Who's heard that before? Raise your hand. Have you ever heard that? You have a God-shaped hole in your heart. You also have a people-shaped hole heart. There is a part of you that needs relationship with people because it's not good that man be alone. Now, there's been some unique things that have happened in the midst of all this. In the last uh, 20 years, there, we're seeing an epidemic arising within the church, and, and it's an epidemic of loneliness. In fact, our, uh, our Surgeon General released an 80-page document, Vivek Murthy, a, uh, an 80-page report on the epidemic spreading across the United States and the UK on loneliness. I want to share with you some of the things that this document has shared. I did the reading so you don't have to. You ready for this? Check this out. 
Loneliness is as or even more dangerous to human bodies than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The percentage of dying early from loneliness is higher than if you smoke 15 cigarettes a day. From drinking six alcoholic drinks each day, from physical activity, obesity, air pollution. Loneliness is harder on your body. You will die sooner from loneliness than you will from any of those things. But we all agree those are not great things. Loneliness has that level effect. In person, the difference between uh, friends between the ages of 13 and 24-year-old from 2003 to 2000 or 2020, in-person relationships, 13 to 24-year-olds, has dropped 70%. Face-to-face contact has dropped 70% for teenagers up to 24. What happened in 2003? Anybody take a guess? Social media. Social media and technology, and here's what happened. People confuse seeing posts and videos about people as the same as being part of those people's lives. That's not relational. In 1999, 70% 70 of people belong to a church or religious religious organization. In 2020, 47% of people belong to a church or religious organization. Now listen to some of the physical, emotional, and mental side effects of lack of community. This is what really blew my mind. Now, again, this is not Christian. This is not from a church. This is from our Surgeon General written to the United States people. If you have a lack of community, you are more likely to have heart disease, to have a stroke, higher blood pressure, lowered immune response, which means you're sick more often and more severely, chronic inflammation. So if you have fibromyalgia, lack of community increases inflammation in your body. You are at greater risk of Alzheimer's and dementia, obesity, stress, anxiety, and other mental health issues, and then you are stressed out more easily. Now remember, the Bible's been saying this for thousands of years. It's not good for man to be alone. And we're just now going, oh, there's an epidemic of loneliness. Yes, it's been going on since sin entered the world. You were created for community. And in order to become like Jesus, you must be in community. Now, God created our mind, body, soul, and spirit for community. And there are benefits that science is just now picking up on that Scripture has been talking about for centuries. Listen to some of the benefits. Again, purely scientific perspective. People who are in regular community are happier. They handle stress better. They have greater mental health. They're more likely to counteract the negative effects because people who are in community are more likely to work out and exercise regularly. They tend to eat healthier and to take necessary medications. Now, if you understand that last part, people who are not in community don't take their medicines that their doctors have prescribed for one, well, many reasons, but one of them is they feel like nobody would care if they take them or not. You tend to want to take care of yourself if you actually feel that there are people who care about you. Does that make sense? Community matters. And we as a church, God is calling us to be in this. Thus, because you do these things, you have lower blood pressure, blood pressure, less heart disease, resilience to sickness. You're less likely to have a stroke, less likely to develop Alzheimer's and dementia. You have a 50% less risk of an early death if you are in active community. That's crazy. Again, we're not talking faith. This is not a faith statement. This is straight from the Surgeon General. This is research, psychology, physiology. These are the things that we're discovering. Now check this out. From a job perspective, if you're not happy with your job, did you know you are 18 times more likely to be promoted in a job if you actually have friends in the place you work? You are twice as, met, twice as likely to get a raise and earn 40% more pay if you're in a place where you have relationship. You have greater stress management, so you're more likely to step up to a challenge. You're more productive at work when you feel connected to your coworkers. And now for you bosses out there, if you have a company that you own or manage or you're a leader, check this out. 
People who feel satisfied and feel like they have friends in their job take 75% fewer sick days. Again, what's the Bible been saying all along? It is not good for man to be alone. I want to read from Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend, who are way smarter than me. They love Jesus, and they've done some remarkable work on, on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but also mental health issues, on boundaries, on how do we understand safety and how to create safe environments, safe people. This is from their book, How People Grow. God designed you and your growth as a Christian to include other people as God's instruments. Virtually every emotional and psychological problem from addictions to depression has alienation or emotional isolation at its core or close to it. Recovery from these problems always involves helping people to get more connected to each other at deeper and healthier levels than they already are. This is why things like Celebrate Recovery, one of our amazing ministries here, are so important. It is not just for alcohol and drug addiction. It's for all your hurts, hang-ups, and habits. So if you're like, well, Jason, I'm not an addict. First of all, I think we're all addicts. It's just what we're addicted to is the question. <laughs> and too many people are like, Jason, I don't need to celebrate recovery because I'm not an alcoholic. I don't, I don't suffer from drugs. No, it's not about that. It's about community for all of us are in a recovery program. In fact, if you're not in a recovery program, then you don't, know, you don't need Jesus because what did Jesus come on? A recovery mission. We need community to become. You need relationship with people. Now listen to the next part. This is so critical from what Dr. Townsend and Cloud say. Ironically, one problem we often see in the Christian church is that people get more into religion. Now, and I, these are my words, not his. In other words, they fight over non-essentials, rules, legalism, and us versus them. Oh, you don't believe this? Well, then you're not welcome to be a part of us. One of the things that Zion, and this is the crazy part, most people don't know we're Lutheran. <laughs> we are. And I, there, there's no, we, we're proud to be Lutheran, but you don't have to agree with everything Lutheran to be a part of our church. If you're like, Jason, I don't believe in infant baptism. Cool. Guess what? The Bible doesn't command us to do it. But we can disagree as long as we agree on the essentials. That's what makes us the family of God. But if you're not a Christian and you're not even sure, like you could say, Jason, I don't even know if I believe in the Bible. That's cool. Guess what? I'm glad you're here. When people get more hung up on religion than what Jesus called us to. And this is what they said. They get hung up on religion and less into the connectedness that the Bible prescribes with the result being people get sicker. For the same reason, many people feel disconnected from God. It's because they have not been connected to his people, the body of Christ. He then quotes Colossians 2.19. They have lost connection with the head, which is Jesus, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow together. Now, I want to end with this last part from them. Ready? Now, I'm, I'm not done. I'm just done with their quote. Some of you are like, whoa, that's early. No, it's not. <laughs> the clear teaching of the New Testament, the Bible, is that the body of Christ, the church you belong to, is to be people deeply connected to each other, supporting each other, and filling each other's hearts. In other words, the Bible has said all along that we are supposed to be family. We are supposed to be in community. In fact, you cannot become who God intends you to be without family, without the family of God, without being in a church, being a part of the church. Now here's, and I say this with all love and I need you to hear this, okay? Some of you say, Jason, I belong to Zion. That's great, you're right, you belong to the organization, but you're not a part of the community. You simply attend. And I'm glad you do. Some people aren't there yet and I'm okay with that. But God wants more for you. 
God wants you to be a part of the body of Christ, not just saying, I go to a church. I go to McDonald's. God wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to be a part of community. Too many attend church but don't actually belong to a church family. And that's just not here. That's across the United States. States much less believe in what the Bible tells you about the importance of church. See, again, it's not just about believing in Jesus. We also believe what Jesus says. And Jesus says, you need family. I want to show you a story. And I promise I'm not going to read it word for word, but it's from Mark chapter 3. And, and here's what's happening. Jesus has begun his ministry. Now, remember, an angel came, angel of the Lord came to Mary and said, hey, Mary, uh, you're going to be pregnant and, and it's going to be by the Holy Spirit. And this is going to be the son of God most high. And, and Mary's like, yeah, okay, well, this is going to happen, right? Jesus turns 30 and he starts his public ministry and he goes around and he's teaching people and he's casting out demons and healing people. And the religious people really don't like Jesus. They really don't like him. They're starting to make enemies of Jesus. And at one point, uh, it says this, Jesus is inside a house teaching, right? And his family has heard that Jesus is there. And, and check this out. His family, who again, Mary, his Mary's part of that family, they're coming to get Jesus because they think he's had a psychotic breakdown. Some actually think this is one of the things that makes the, the veracity, the truth of the gospels real, is why would you say that the person that is God in flesh, that people thought he was crazy? They think he's having a mental breakdown. And so his family is coming to take charge of him, but they don't know where he is. He's inside of a house arguing with religious leaders. And the religious leaders are saying, hey, listen, uh, Jesus, uh, some people are possessed by demons. We actually don't think you're possessed by demons. You're possessed by the prince of demons. You're from Beelzebub himself. And Jesus says this famous quote, can a house divided itself by itself against, against itself? Can it stand? And he goes, how, how can I cast out demons and be from Satan himself? That can't be. And I, I don't want to get into the theology of that this morning, but something happens. Okay, so the religious leaders, the family finds out where Jesus is. Jesus is arguing with the religious leaders. Family's coming because they think Jesus is having a psychotic break. They come to get him. And one of his disciples says, hey, Jesus, your family's outside. Your mother and your brothers are here. To, they, they want to see you. And Jesus looks at him. Now, listen to this. And this is what he says. He goes, who are my mother, who's my mother, and who are my brothers and sisters? Well, that's Mary and, and James. And that's, that's, no, no, no. Who are my mother, who's my mother, and who are my brothers and sisters? And then he looks at a woman and he says, she's my mother. And then he looks at some men in the crowd and he says, they're my brothers, they're my sisters. See, anyone who believes and does the will of my father, that's my family. Now, what you may not realize is that Jesus is upending an entire worldview for Jews. See, Jews, as long as you were Jewish, you were part of the family of God. It didn't matter if you were actually following what God said. As long as you were Jewish, Jews stick together was kind of the idea, right? And Jesus says, no, anybody. Now, they didn't even fathom that he was talking about non-Jews. Anyone who does the will of my Father is my family. It doesn't mean that they don't have blood. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have blood relatives. It doesn't mean that you don't have a family, but you are now part of a family of God that is so much deeper, stronger, thicker than blood relationship. Now, here's what I need you to hear, okay? Jason, I don't really need, fam I don't, I don't need a church family because I've got a great family. If you have a wonderful family, praise God. 
And in fact, some of you are like, Jason, I really don't need a church family because my family loves Jesus. Doubly praise God. But if we take the words of Jesus seriously, which if you do, I need you to hear this. If you take the words of Jesus seriously, Jesus said the two greatest commands are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What if it's not about your, your loneliness, but your neighbor's loneliness? What if it is not about being in community because you don't need it, but because the person next to you does? Because Jesus then said, I give you a new command, love one another. Now, I, I want to say this. Some people are not safe to be in community with. And this does not mean that you put yourself in unsafe environments. But here's the thing. All people need community. Amen. All human beings need community. Those people, people who are unsafe, and maybe you're like, Jason, maybe that's me. They need somebody who can say, you want to know the reason people don't, they don't want relationship with you is because you're unsafe. You haven't dealt with your trauma. You haven't dealt with life. And, and it's not that people don't love you. It's that they also need to protect themselves because here's the deal. Jesus could be around unsafe people because he was Jesus. You have to have community and something happens in church community. And, and I'm going to get ready to invite Scott Lester up here in a moment. See what happens in church community. And this was what our Ephesians passage was all about is that the body of Christ is God's gift to you to become family. You need community in order to become like Jesus. You need community to become a better husband, to be the, the husband, the mother, the wife, the father, the son, the daughter, the worker, the leader. You need Christian community to help you become those things because you cannot do it alone. Well, Jason, I, I don't know if I need anybody. Here's the thing. Did you know that your, and I'm going to say this to us men, your wife is not enough. Actually, one of the things that happens often in marriages, when I see marriages implode, it's because one or both look at their spouse as the thing that fulfills them. You notice I didn't say that God fulfilled Adam by creating Eve. Eve didn't fulfill Adam, but he did fill her. You need things to fill your life, and part of that is you need Christian community. You need men, women, you need old and young who come together, who will speak truth into your life, who will say hard things. You need family. We live in a world that is isolated, and here's the key, and then I'm going to, and Scott, get ready. Get, Scott's getting curious. Get ready. The church is supposed to show the world why we're different by how we love each other. We live in a world that is dealing with isolation, and I need you to hear this. It's okay to have non-Christian friends. You should have non-Christian friends, but your community, the place where you are challenged the most, should be by brothers and sisters who love Jesus because you should want the best for each other. In the last couple of weeks, I've, I've developed a, begun a, a new friendship with a, a brother in Christ, and we've hung out a total of three hours, and this was the coolest part in that three hours. We talked about Jesus, we talked about our faith, we talked about our families and how God is moving in our lives. Three hours, and I mean, it just flew by. When was the last time you actually talked about faith with somebody in your community group? See, that's the thing, non-Christians can't talk about faith. They can't talk about how God is moving them. You need to be a part of a church family. This is our church family. And so it's not enough. If you wanna become like Jesus, it's not enough just to attend church. You need to be a part of church. You need to be in community. With that being said, I'm going to invite Scott Lester. See, Scott came on this year as our connections director. I'm going to call him our belonging, our belonging director, right? And I, I, I'm just going to let Scott talk. <laughs> I don't need to do the talking for him. 
So yeah, I'm Scott. Um, I'm on staff, obviously, as I said. Um, we, little backstory, we had a certain read-through on Thursday, and uh, we got to this point, and somebody in read-through said, we need a testimony from somebody that's got connection. And Dixon's like, Scott, this is your moment. And I'm like, no, it's not. And she did some kind of chicken scratch in his notes, and I was like, okay. I'm gonna walk away from this. And so this morning I ran into him and I'm like, are we doing this? And he's like, yeah, you're up. And I'm like, okay. So here we go. <laughs> um, basically, um, my story is that probably five years ago, I was doing what everybody's doing, coming to church, just getting by. Um, things started to happen in my marriage that were a struggle. And uh, the whole time, Jason had been uh, asking me to get into a small group, and I denied, and denied, and denied. And finally, after I said six times, he said 20 times, I agreed to it. And uh, I got into a small group with a bunch of men that I didn't know. And I think that was key, is that this relationship started off of not knowing each other. Uh, we didn't need to know each other because we wanted to know Jesus better together. And that was our mission together, and to learn together, and. Uh, Ultimately, they helped me get through a lot of things that I was struggling with, and had I been on my own, it would have been a different story today. Um, and then uh, it's progressed to that made it more joyful for me to come to church. I wanted to come early because now I knew people I could talk to, and I wanted to get more involved. Uh, and uh, after a, another season, we got into a couples group, and that's difficult because my attitude and my thoughts are different than my wife's and so getting in a big group and finding babysitters is hard but it was worth it because now we have a strong group of, of married couples that are going through the same things that we're going through so that we can talk to them they can hold us accountable just like he said uh, long story short there's a lot more that goes into it but uh, everything that jason preached on is what i lived i've been in clear lake for 30 years and I have an awesome family, I had some good friends, but these relationships were based off of something, something deeper, and they're getting me a lot further uh, with my faith, and, and I'm hoping that I'm helping theirs too. So we just want to encourage everybody, if, if you need to see me to try to get connected, please do. If there's people that are around you that you need to reach out to, please do that also. Uh, we also have the volunteer board out there. That's a great place to start. Start by volunteering, meet some people, and then get 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 together in community with them. Uh, you won't regret it, I promise. Can we get it up for Scott? Now, here's the thing. I, I want you to hear one of the things he just said. I hear this all the time. Jason, you don't know how busy I am. I call bull. We're all busy. Did you know we all have the same 24 hours in a day? The truth is when people, and I, occasionally I'll meet somebody who's legitimately like, Jason, I go to work at 5 and I get off of work at 9, at 9 p.m. at night and I kiss my wife goodnight and I go to bed and then I wake up. That's not healthy, okay? But when most people say they're busy, what they really mean is they're busy with other things that are important. You make a priority for what's important in your life. Would you agree with that? And so usually when people are like, Jason, you know, I'm not busy. I'm, I've got my kid's soccer game. I've got football. I've got my poker night. I've got, I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. No, you're not busy. You've made choices. And this year of becoming, and we're going to get more into talking about, we're going to get into the practical means of what does it mean 
to become like Jesus. So it's not just going to be theoretical. We're going to really get into what does it mean to become like Christ? What is the vision that God has for your life, for your marriage, for your health? All these things matter because God has a vision for your life. And I hope your vision for your life matches God's. Because that's where the real fruit comes in. That's where the real joy comes in. Something that Scott didn't say. I asked Scott if he was interested in ever doing a ministry about a year ago, and he said, oh, heck no. <laughs> and then uh, when this position opened up, he, he was like, I, I wasn't going to mention it. And he brought it up, and this is what he said. Community changed my life. I want to be a part of that. Is that fair, Scott? That's my interpretation. But the gist, the gist of it was, I know what people need. We want to set up the means for you to be in community. Now, here's the thing. The purpose of a church is not just to make you feel good. Who do you have in your life that will know when you're not at church on Sunday morning? And it can't be me. I don't have enough brain power to do that. Half the time, I barely remember my kids' names. I call my kids my animals' names all the time. I have to go through the list, right? Who do you have in your life that will challenge you to become more like Jesus and show grace and forgiveness and mercy when you need it? Who do you have in your life? Because if the only people who are shaping you are not Jesus, you're going to become more like them and less like Jesus. You need Jesus-centered, gospel-driven, Holy Spirit-filled people to become gospel-filled, Jesus-centered, gospel-driven people. Did that make sense? Would you stand? We're going to close and worship. If you need prayer, I want to invite you to the prayer corner. If maybe you have, maybe you're dealing with some isolation, loneliness, hey, also, and I, I need you to hear this, one of the things we're going to talk about this year, we're going to talk about mental health because mental health is a leading cause of loneliness. And I believe God's word has some things to say about mental health. So does it, it has things to say about physical health and spiritual health. This is a year of becoming. So I'm going to pose this last question, then we're going to close in worship and then I'll just give us a benediction. Here's the question I have for you. Who do you want to become this year? Who do you want to become? And let us help you be there, especially if it's about following Jesus and being more like Jesus. Amen? All right, we're going to close in worship. If you need to go, you can go, but receive this benediction. Lord, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the work that you're doing in Zion. Bless them, keep them. Go out, shine the light of Jesus, show the love of Jesus, and let's be God's people in this world. Amen? We're going to close in worship. If you need to head out, please do. But if you want to stick around for worship, I hope you will. Thanks for coming.